On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, turns out there's not much of a difference between bullies and the Antichrist. It's in the Bible. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, is Paul saying that we have to add our works to Christ's work to be saved? <gasps> Calm down, Catholics. We'll sort it out for you. Is it true that Pastor Dustin reads 150 books a year? Well, I suppose that depends on what the definition of is is. Now it's episode 47. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I gotta be honest, man. I'm tired of that intro. (laughs) This is not the first episode we've recorded today, so I decided to cut it short uh, because now the whole audience has to go with my whims. It's good to have power. Yeah, It's good to be king. That's what we call abusive power, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 47 is dedicated to Halloween. We hate you, Halloween, because you're demonic, and the history of Halloween, regardless of how you look at it, is not Christian. So, uh, you know, not a fan. On the other hand, on the other hand, it is the one day a year where the mission field comes to your front door, and it is the one day a year where you get to go and knock on people's doors and tell them whatever you want without a shotgun being pointed at your face, most likely. So, we dedicate this to Halloween basically just to do a little bit of an end zone dance and say, maybe you guys meant it for evil. I think we're going to redeem this sucker and turn it into a missional holiday. So new reformation day. Nice reformation day. Also October 31st, right? Because that is the date in 1517 that, uh, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses at the door of the church in Wittenberg and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's common for Christians to say, we're not celebrating Halloween. We're celebrating reformation day. I'm saying, Let's just erase the distinctions and say we can we can have our opinions over here. Let's go get missional up in here. How about we call it Reformation Day? I think Driscoll wrote a book like that, didn't oh, he? Oh, he probably did. Yeah. If, if there's a pun, he made it. Okay, maybe not. All right, well. <laughs> it's, look, it takes 100 ideas to have to have one that we're going to do, right? That's me and Ben's theory. So we uh, we say, all right, it takes you know 10 ideas before you have a good one. And it takes 10 good ideas before you have one that's good for right now. So you wind up having 100 ideas before you figure out what you're actually going to do. Uh, you know, hopefully over time and wisdom, you can get better at like finding the one sooner, but it doesn't always work out that way. So 99 to go. So what you heard was actually one of the bad ideas. Yeah, it's off the whiteboard. Here we go. Proverbs 3.30. Proverbs 3.30 says, Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm i feel like this should go without saying and yet how often is this proverb applicable right we have a word for guys like this we call them bullies solomon's whole point here is don't be a bully if we read the sermon on the mount it'll it it, it will tell you things that are mutually exclusive with bullying check it matthew 5 5 blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You can see uh, that, that following Christ can't coexist with bullying by looking at what the Apostle Paul writes. A couple examples here. We are to do good to all men, and especially to those of the household of faith. I, I just butchered that. Do good to all men and especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10, we're supposed to consider others' needs as more significant than our own. Philippians 2, verse 3, we're supposed to show tolerance for one another. Ephesians 4.12, show preference to one another. Romans 12.10, you cannot practice Christianity and practice bullying. These two things cannot occupy the same space. I'll tell you what, though. 
if you have some extra bullyish energy and you want to get it out, Jesus gave us an example for that too. He bullied demons in Mark 9. What? What? He bullied Satan and his boys to the hmm. point of public humiliation in Colossians 2.15. What? What? So if you feel like, uh, you know, exerting some authority over somebody that's helpless against your superior power, go fight the kingdom of darkness. It's already lost. And when you win those victories and you make the devil mad, you can issue that maniacal laugh that you've been holding in for so very, very long. So there are proper outlets for these things. But don't do it to the innocent, dude. Live and let live. If someone ain't bothering you, don't bother them. There's a portrait of a a disciple that you can compile from the New Testament, which is a guy that minds his own business and doesn't force his presence on other people. Check it. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. To aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 2 Thessalonians 3.12. Now such persons we commend and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. You can't do that and be stealing somebody's milk money at the same time. So again, this is mutually exclusive with Christianity, and it's all summed up in that common bumper sticker, which encapsulates part of our cultural philosophy in the modern day. When you drive around Seattle, you drive around Portland, you'll see this bumper sticker a lot, and it says, mean people suck. Solomon agrees. And now for this isn't that's, We've got with us the Bearded Beaver, as per the usual. So happy to be here with you, my friend, my it, pastor. It is most excellent to be in your presence, sir. This isn't that. So we've got not an interview with a missionary this time, although uh, I did record one that we're going to be releasing later, so that'll be fun. You guys can look forward to that. Uh, we got some pastoral Q&A. Nice. Okay, so. Which tra- stands for quirks and abstractions, I think, right? No, it's questions and answers. And oh, so what we might want to so do, by the way, if sense. you do have questions, I would encourage you to send an email to office at graceandtruthcommunity.com. You can also DM at GT Micro Pastor, all one word, at Twitter if you are in the Twitterverse. Not to be, miscons- not to be uh, confused with the MCU universe, which is completely different. And What's if that? you're there... The Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. Stay. You're not. If you're living there, um, we have friends in nice white coats that can talk to you. The joke landed flat. Boom. No, this I'm is, sorry. No, I. Yeah. Wait. What? Not the Twitterverse. The 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 MC. But like, why why does Marvel? What what is the universe? Like the Marvel comic. Comic yeah. Marvel Cinematic Cinematic Universe. Universe? Like yeah. what? What does that encompass? Is it just like the group of movies that Marvel puts out? That is uh, basically every Marvel media release. Um, movies, yes, but also some of their TV shows and stuff like that. Hmm. Oh, I get it. Because like basically the the storylines play off of each other and continue, and you got to watch mm-hmm. that one to understand that one. Exactly. And yeah, man. Okay, I understand what you're saying now. Sorry about that. I, How to I, kill a joke in 30 seconds? Boom. Yeah. Tell it to Dustin, who has zero comprehension. Exactly. Uh, so, but I, I did that. I watched a, a Marvel movie, and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on because the I, I was like, I feel like I missed something. Apparently, yeah. I missed an entire there's, universe. There's a lot of it, like inside jokes and references. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I don't appreciate it. I feel like that's uh, that's presumptuous. They're saying we own your time so much that you can't even participate in this uh, form of entertainment unless you submit to the fact that we say you should watch three hundred movies. 
you can take offense at that if you'd like. Uh, I choose to. Other, others uh, say, hey, I, there are certain storylines that we can tell that you can't pack into two hours. At least they feel they can't. And so we would like to do a long form and have it over 30. <laughs> you can uh, write in your questions to Pastor Snowflake at, <laughs> at Dustin is an emotional wuss.com. Yeah, Pastor. You know what? We should probably now create Pastor Snowflake. <laughs> dot <Grace-and-truthcommunity.com. laughs> We can reassign it to whichever pastor makes us mad in the next elders meeting. Oh, okay. So you know how like you get employee of the month? You'll have Pastor Snowflake of the month. All right, Greg, this time it's you. Okay, Dustin, this time you get Pastor Snowflake for the, the Marvel comic comment. All right, what do we got? All right. So for this this is from from Bob Dylan, the bagpipist. Yes. Colossians chapter 1, what? 24. What? Bob? Bob Dylan, the bagpipist. I don't think Bob Dylan played the bagpipes. Sound better than his singing. <laughs> That's, no, that makes sense. That's yeah. it. Because Bob Dylan is the bagpipist of, of vocalists. Yeah, well, the code thing about the government. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Colossians one twenty four. He's just trying to plow through at this I'm point, trying folks. Trying to work through this. Um, <laughs> what does Paul mean by filling up what is lacking in in the sufferings of Christ. You just got serious on me. I know. All right. It was Colossians. Left-hand turn. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. That's Haggai. And the pro- and, and, oh, and one more thing. And in John 19, 30, Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. So what could be lacking? <laughs> oh, we got some insightful uh, listeners, man. Yes. I like this. All right. Uh, Colossians. That's uh, New Testament, right? I hope so. Okay. Go on yeah, there. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, <laughs> Philippians, and Colossians. Go eat popcorn. I like it. Okay. Colossians 1, 24. It says <clears throat> as follows. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. Filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ and Jesus said it is finished so how could anything be lacking that is a phenomenal question Bob and you should never play the bagpipes again because it's an awful instrument Uh, as previously discussed on the hungry for wisdom podcast and I'm not bending on this Um, okay so basically the, the the basic grid to see this through is there's there's two subjects going on we, we think in, when we think of Christ's afflictions, we're thinking in terms of the cross, right? Which is where John 19.30 was spoken. It is finished. We're thinking of the cross and the accomplishment of salvation. Then there's another box that I want to open up here, the mission. Okay? So applying the victory of Christ across the whole world. Paul here is talking about the mission. So the, the afflictions of Christ, by the way, that vocabulary-wise, that, that Greek word that he uses for afflictions, that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. We call it a hapax legomenon. So now you can sound nerdy with your friends. A hapax legomenon is a word that is used in only one place, so you can't really compare it to anything else. It's, it's tricky. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the suffering of Christ on the cross accomplished our salvation. It is all of Christ. It is nothing of our own works, lest lest anyone can boast. Uh, Salvation was completely accomplished by him. Period. Full stop. No more talking. Until he rose from the dead and he said, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Well, now we've got a job to do. So we could look at that and say, well, hold on. If we have to make disciples of all nations, is there something that Christ hasn't done? 
You know, d- did he leave the job uncompleted? Well, no, he did not leave the work of salvation uncompleted. He is done with that. It's an accomplished fact, right? That's what the resurrection proves. Like, yo, it's, it's done. But with the mission to apply that finished work across the world, he left us a role to play. And what Paul is saying here is that role involves suffering. That mission involves, um, uh, certainly doesn't involve turning your phone off before you hit record. All right, if you guys can write in with the answer to the question of what theme song this is, you win. I love this theme song. Boom, 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 boom. All right. I didn't even put my computer on silence back there. So the, the, the work is done for salvation. The mission is not. And the mission is going to include suffering. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Christ, be treated like him. We're going to be able to identify with him in a lot of ways. And there is still suffering left to do in order to cover the world with the good news of salvation. But the good news of salvation is not unfinished, and we have no uh, role in that. Am I missing anything here, Ben? No, I was just going to, what I was thinking of is even... Um when Jesus gives in the Beatitudes, right? It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Um, uh, when you are persecuted for righteousness, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Um, you know, that, that whole idea of you're, if you're persecu- we're being persecuted for his name, right? So that would, that would seem to go along with that, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not just the, that, we're, that Jesus is saying, no, there is going to be suffering coming. And if the world hates me, says that um, in John, then it will hate you as well. So there's suffering that is coming. And, I, and one of the things I was thinking about, too, is you have two different authors. And so I think it's also important that we understand what is John working at when he tells us that Jesus says it is finished in the book of John. And what is, context would be very helpful as we read Colossians, what is Paul saying Right there. And yeah, and the context is huge because right before that, it's the Christ hymn, which is the all-sufficiency of Christ. Exactly. So to, to and this is dangerous because sometimes we take even words from, that authors use in different, in different books, and we have to be careful to make sure this author used this word in this particular way. Like, say, for example, John uses words in a particular way, and Paul uses words in a particular way. And we we can't just say, well, John says this, and Paul says this, so A equals B, and we draw a, a straight line. What is John saying when he uses that word, or when he says, it is finished? And what is Paul saying when he's saying, oh, there's some... There's, there's something left to finish. Something left to finish. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it's a great point. So this is what, what Ben is laying out is uh, what we call hermeneutics. It's Bible interpretation, right? How do you go about understanding the text? And so, yeah, what we wind up with here is two completely separate uh, sets of vocabulary, two completely separate um, topics, and two completely separate direct objects, if you want to get to that. Like, what is finished versus what is lacking? Well, these are two different subjects. So the work of the cross is finished. The work of salvation is finished that's why i took that poke at uh the catholics up front is because the the whole thing with roman catholicism is that you know i mean the council of trent in what was that 15 19 or 1547 i'm getting those dates mixed up whatever they said it is of faith plus good works right so it's like a matter of catholic dogma it's written down and it is you know it is law for them um sola fide not a thing so when their their contention is that you have to add your work to the spilled blood, and when you go to the mass or what we would call communion, right? You go to the mass. Well, that that juice that you take is literally turning into 
the blood of yeah. Christ. The cracker that you take is literally turning into the body of Christ because now the forgiveness of your sins is being reaccomplished over and over again as you engage with the mass. And so that's why they have last rites. You got to go and serve somebody in the hospital before they die in order to take away whatever sins they have not yet confessed and had washed away by the last mass. And we're saying, no, it is finished means it's finished. Now, how are we going to tell people about that? Jesus didn't do that for us. He's doing it instead through us. And so there's still work to be done. It's going to involve exactly. some suffering. And, uh, you know, it is it is unfinished when it comes to the mission. Yeah. And, and again, uh, not only hermeneutically looking at it from that perspective, but even how does Paul refer to Christians when he says, for example, in Galatians, he says, you know, do you think that you can perfect in the flesh what, what God accomplished in the spirit? There's a finished work that is being applied and he's not obviously saying, well, you have more work to do to accomplish that. The finished work of the gospel was done. That's the whole book of Galatians. You can't, you, you can't apply law to, uh, to what Christ has done. And yet, so, so Paul, obviously, if he's consistent with himself, and Scripture is consistent with itself, he would not be going that route. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so that's it. Filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. We're talking about the mission. Sounds great. All right, this is from Mike. I'm confused. Christians are not under the law, but are supposed to do what the law says. I love the word of God, and I want to be obedient, but I don't understand what to do with the law. Am I supposed to obey it or move past it? That is a phenomenal question. It is. Yeah. So we're not under the law. We're under grace. Okay. Um. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. Uh, all of Romans pretty much is one yeah. big expo- exposition of like, okay, how are we supposed to think about the law and Jewishness now and things like that? So we are not under the law. And yet, Paul lights people up for breaking the commandments, uh, breaking the fifth commandment about honoring your father and mother, right? He lights people up for... Uh, like in uh, Romans 2, for theft and for murder, mm-hmm. right? Well, these are the Ten Commandments. So how is it then that we can say we're not under the law? Ah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. What do you want to do? You want to go threefold division? Sounds good. All right, threefold division of the law. Here we go. So the Protestant reformers, this, this is some egregiously brief history. I'm leaving out so much here that I should slap myself as a as an amateur historian, but I could slap you. <laughs> well, uh, give, give, just give me a chance and see if you need to. Okay. Cause if I don't need to get slapped, I'd like to avoid it, but, <laughs> but I'll submit to it. If you, if you no. deem it necessary. No. Uh, so the Protestant reformers came along and said, okay, listen, Roman Catholic church, we got a problem here in that you've got this priesthood that's modeled on the old Testament system. And the new Testament has done away with all of that stuff. But since, the Bible is only in Latin, and a lot of you guys don't even read Latin, and nobody's reading the Bible anyway. We don't know this stuff. So they tore into the Bible, and they said, we got to sort this out. They said, what elements of the law do we still need to be practicing, and then what elements of the law do we not? And so they came up with with a, a method of doing this, and what they did was they said, we're going to go into the New Testament, and we're going to look at how... Um, how the New Testament authors treated the Old Testament law. And you see things like in 1 Timothy 1, hey, the law is good if it's used lawfully. Mm, interesting, they say. What, is, what does that mean? How can Because that was, that was post-resurrection. That was post-Pentecost, right? This is church age stuff. So 
how is the law still good and how are we to use it lawfully now? Interesting. So now they've got, they've got something to pursue, right? So then they go into all the different uh, things that Jesus in the gospels holds people responsible for uh, the standards that he places on them. Well, okay, he hadn't died yet, so maybe there's something to consider there, but is he communicating eternal principles? Oh, some of the laws never pass away, right? His words never pass away. Not one not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away, right? And he who teaches somebody not to obey the law is less than the lowest one in the kingdom of God. Okay, so they start just compiling stuff. I'm just listing off random things at this point, right? But they, they start compiling stuff that the, the, the Jesus and the apostles say about the law. And what they realized was that there's basically three different ways that the New Testament authors and speakers talk about the law. And one, so we, we broke this up into moral, civil, ceremonial, right? So one way they would talk about the law is, hey, there's a moral law that is always binding all the time. It will never be okay to murder. It will never be okay to dishonor your parents. It will never be okay to um, commit adultery, right? You can go down the, the list of the, the Ten Commandments, um, Actually, we should pause in the fourth one here in a second with, with the Sabbath. But it, it will never be okay to um, to do these things that God said no to. So the moral law, they said, is, is still binding all the time. Then they had the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law, and I gotta, I'll deal with that next. Usually we break it up, we say moral, civil, ceremonial. So then they had the moral law and they had the civil law. Now the civil law was put in place because... You know, the Exodus generation, they come out of Egypt and they're like, yay, the army drowned. The, you know, the Egyptians are dead. And they sing this great song out of Exodus 14, 15. And they, uh, they're like all happy and stuff. And then everybody stops and it's kind of awkwardly quiet. And then a cricket chirps and somebody sniffles and they look around and they all say, what do we do now? Right? <laughs> and so God says, all right, I got, what was it? 600,000 people or something in the desert. We got to create a society from scratch. And so he gives them a law and he says, here's how I want the civil aspects of Israel to work. So he's got things like, hey, if you steal, you repay that much. If somebody has a complaint against you, you go to this person and you settle it that way. You know, stuff like that. So that's the civil law. Well, the reformers said, all right, in the New Testament, the civil law seems to have been um, superseded by Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and stuff like that, where it says, submit to your governing authorities. So now we're not under the, the laws of the ancient Israelite society. We are now under the laws of our present society where God has placed us, right? So we got the moral and the civil. Then we got the ceremonial. And the ceremonial law, these are laws of worship. Hey, you got to bring an unblemished lamb to this priest at that time of year. They got to slaughter him. You got this red heifer and it's got to die like that and whatever. And all of these things are fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is immensely clear about that. The book of Hebrews is immensely clear about that. So... The ceremonial law was all fulfilled in Christ. We don't have to practice those things anymore. And if we start to practice those things, then Pastor Ben is going to open up Galatians and tell us how annoyed Paul is with us, and we're going to say no, so we don't practice those. So, moral, civil, ceremonial, moral, always binding. These are, are natural moral laws that are written on every human heart and darn well should be and will remain so. Moral is still binding. Civil, superseded by the, the you know, uh, by Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, those things. And then ceremonial, fulfilled in Christ. So we are not under the law, but we are under the moral principles of the law, which brings us to the fourth commandment, right? Keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. Well, we don't worship on Saturdays, do we? And the earliest Christians, it would seem, held, uh, you know, well, most of them were, were Jews and they still held to the Sabbath. Um, they, they saw the Lord's Day, 
the day that he rose from the dead, as more significant and gathered together then in worship. Whatever else they did, you know, in the synagogues on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, they would gather together on, uh, on Sunday to take communion, celebrate the resurrection. So how do they do that? Are they breaking a moral law? I mean, the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, right? In fact, it even says in, um, uh, might be Exodus 20, but I know definitely like some of these, some of these laws, like the festivals and stuff in Leviticus 16 and, and things like that, it says, this shall be a memorial among your generations forever. And now these guys are saying, we're not doing that. Like, what is up with that? Well, Hebrews is really clear as well. Like Hebrews 4 is, is really clear that Jesus is our Sabbath, right? He says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and it doesn't lie in keeping the details of the law. He, he mentions sacrifices, and he says, look, if, if sacrifices could appease God's wrath, there would never be a need for a second lamb, right? Like it's, it, it's obvious that it was pointing to something greater, and that something greater turned out to be a someone greater, and his name is Jesus, and now we have a lot of freedom in how we handle these things. So Colossians 2 comes in and it says, okay, don't let anybody stand as your judge over um, yep. over what day you you um, honor as being particularly holy. A Sabbath day, he actually mentions the Sabbath day or a new moon festival or whatever. Romans 14 does the same thing. Now it's up to every man's conscience rather than a rigorous letter of the law. So, you know, there, there are some streams of Christianity that, that say that... Um, Sunday, the Lord's Day, is the Christian Sabbath, and we ought to be keeping that as the Sabbath. I, I don't hold to that personally because I think we're you know, going back into recreating something that Christ has fulfilled and set us free from. Um, and I would go to Colossians 2 and places like that to, to demonstrate that. But the point is that Sabbath being on a Saturday is not a moral law, right? Keeping the Sabbath and celebrating the provision of God the rest that we have in God through the work of Christ, that is a moral law. And if we're not doing that, we are sinning, right? So are we under the law? By the letter? No. But we are under the spirit of the law, meaning that the law was communicating something to us, and we are expected to respond and submit to those things. Last thing I'll say here, uh, probably not, is that the the law shows you the law, the heart of the law giver. Right, it's a law is a revelation of principles, a revelation of values. So, like in our society, we have building codes that include handicap access. You got to have a ramp if it's this high, you know, whatever. Because we have decided as a society, we value including those that are handicapped, and we made it a matter of law. We have to put, um, you know, we have to put uh, uh, like slats or banisters or whatever around porches if they're over a certain height, because we decided that we value physical safety, and so. Of course, the way unbelievers do that is they impose uh, needless laws on homeowners and violate all sorts of property principles because the government sucks at everything they do, apparently. But, you know, the heart of the law is clearly seen. And the a, a given law shows the heart of the lawgiver. So we, through God's law, we can see what he loves, what he hates, and we are expected to submit to that. What am I leaving out? Well, um, I, I guess my question, except for you sort of answered it already, is what, then what do I do with law? How is it useful? Okay. Because, because I mean, do I just pull an Andy Stanley and just, you know, chop off the Old Testament from my Bible? I'm sorry. I just hawked in my water bottle here a little bit. <laughs> the, or or do I pull a, I think it's a Jefferson, right? Do I just kind of razor out those various, those various aspects of the scriptures that, you know, that obviously don't apply to me? Yeah. He didn't do that, by the way. No. He, um, okay. So, real quick. Sorry. I just took a shot at you. Let me explain. What he was doing there was he was taking the, the sayings of Jesus that had philosophical implications and stacking them up with the great 
philosophers of history. So the Jefferson Bible was a philosophical document. He wasn't cutting out the parts he didn't like. But I get your point because Andy Stanley's doing it now. We can, ooh, here's an example. Marcion. Yes. Marcion. He says, the Old Testament God's mean. New Testament God's nice. We're getting rid of the Old Testament, right? Andy Stanley uh, recreates that by saying, the 11th commandment ooh, is... shots fired. Oh, yeah. Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. Or he says, thou shalt not follow the Ten Commandments. He said that was the, you know, summary of the New Testament. I just about coughed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, my water. This, yeah. So this dude needs Jesus, and um, it's a good question though. What do we actually do with it, and how do we know that that's the wrong approach? Right. Okay. I'm just summarizing the question. You were going somewhere with the nope, answer. To no, I said no. I just said, what do we do with it? Yeah, with, with the law. Yeah, what do we do with it? Okay, how's it useful? Yeah. So Galatians three twenty four is is my favorite go to verse for this. The law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ. It used to be a law. Now it's a tutor, right? So this is going to tell you something. Anytime you read the Old Testament law, it's going to tell you something about either what Jesus is going to do, who he's going to be, the deliverance that he will bring, right? This, this law is there to either mitigate a problem or to solve a problem, right? The law is, is there to stop you from doing something or whatever. Well, Jesus is going to accomplish that somehow. How's that going to be? So we can make those links. It leads us to Christ. Also, we can look at the law and say, God loves and hates some stuff. I'd like to agree. So we look for the principles. And that's that's a big deal when it comes to the law. What is the principle here? And you should do biblical theology and look for fulfillments and do all that kind of stuff. But, you know, something that, that really honestly is just good thought fodder and discussion uh, content is what's the principle behind this? What's he getting at? You know, the common example is don't plant two types of seed next to each other in the same field. Why the heck not? What is he talking about? You know, um, don't wear two types of fabric together. Why? Okay, well, God's communicating something here. What's what's the principle behind it? And you can speculate and you can be right or wrong and ask your pastors and read books and that's all great stuff. But that's the point. You get down to the principles. There's another threefold division of the law that's really helpful, um, especially for the application portion, right? And it's three M's. The law is a map, mirror, and muzzle. So, the law is a roadmap. Hey, do this, don't do that. That's God's desire for you. Well, even if it's not like a law that we are under right now, it's still going to be darn good, you know, guidance for life, right? So do this, don't do that. It's a map. Here's how you approach things. Uh, or, or here are the principles on how to approach things. And then it's a mirror. The law shows you your inability to fulfill the law. There have been various guys over the course of, you know, recent history that have done experiments where they've tried to live according to the mosaic law a hundred percent for like a year which is really tough because there's no like tabernacle or something but the point is they couldn't do it it's so ridiculously impossible that they couldn't do it and then the law comes in and is like yeah i know you idiot that's why i have sacrifices so that when you fail to break when you fail to keep the law then you're not outside of god's um purview so here's some sacrifices to acknowledge your sin and you know, a mechanism by which to repent. So it's a map, it's a mirror. You can't do this. I need a savior. I am not perfect in front of God. And then it's a muzzle, you know, where it says, it just restrains evil behavior, which is Paul's point in First Timothy 1, where it says the law is there for the immoral. It's for the murderers, for the, the you know, the, the rebels and things like that. So it's a map, a mirror, and a muzzle. And it can serve as all three of those functions in our lives. So I actually can open up the book of Leviticus and, and derive spiritual benefit Bro, from it. Yes, and it can be dry and it can be repetitive, but I'll tell you what, I preached through the book of Leviticus a few years ago, and um, 
The reason I did that was because the only time that I ever heard anybody quoting Leviticus was when it was the secularists throwing it back in our face. They were like, do you even know what your Bible says, bro? It says like blah, blah, blah. And then they would quote Leviticus. And I just got mad. I'm like, no, screw you. This is my book and I like it and I'm going to like it and I'm going to like it in public. And so I went and just preached it and I figured it was going to be quite a hill for people to climb. People loved it because they, they saw the heart of God, they saw Jesus. I was learning as we went too, you know, and it was just like the the revelation of the word of God there was incredible. I mean, you read Psalm 119 where it just glorifies the law and it's like, your law is like this and it's so great. And you try to imagine somebody saying that after reading Leviticus, it can be hard to do. But man, when you really dig into what's going on there, it is amazing. The church actually grew quite a bit under Leviticus, which I, I thought was personally hilarious. I was just like, dude, is this not evidence of the Holy Spirit being alive here and giving people a hunger because we just grew a church with Leviticus? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, even the psalmist, right, in Psalm in Psalm 19, when he talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, right? Yep. You know, And it, you almost, and I don't know if Paul's directly alluding to this in Romans 1, but it says, hey, t- creation testifies that there, in fact, is a God, therefore man is without excuse. But then... When the when the author makes this switch, he says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I mean, to know everybody, you can all you can all probably understand this if you if you've been ever given a job and never given any explanation on how to do it. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, right. You get, you get some boss that just says, "I just want you to go um, go and and chop down all those trees." You have all these tools at your disposal, and you've been not told how to use them or anything like that. But if you do something wrong, he's going to bust you. Exactly. And so you think about these, you know, again, in, in ancient worlds, right? How did people know if the gods were angry with them? The crops didn't grow and you starved to death. Exactly. Or you ripped open a poor animal and tried to discern what was going on inside of oh, him. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 no way to really know. And and David, here, he's writing this, he's going, oh, I know, I know what my God wants and on top of that, is you know, we get into the ceremonial stuff. I also know what my God has provided as a sacrifice. So when I do blow it, I can be covered. I, I, yeah, and then I'll go to my favorite book of Hebrews and, and saying, yeah, Jesus is the better sacrifice. He solves all of that. But to know my sins actually can be covered? Really? Yeah. You know, to, that gives you something to grab onto in, in moments of desperation and guilt. Yeah. And yeah. But to know that this is the care and, and and this is this reveals to me what my God wants from me, what he's provided for me. That's why you can see it's a, it's a delight to the eyes. It revives the soul. Yeah. It does it, it does give me fear, right? It, it is enduring forever. I mean, you could go through the whole psalm, but to yeah. say, you know, that this is what God wants from me. So, do we chuck the law? Absolutely not. No. Do we read it? Does it see? Does it reveal to us the lawgiver? Does it reveal to us even just how holy it is? Like all the cleanliness laws, right? You sit there and you go, God is saying, "I am holy." Yep. And it is ver- it, it is essentially impossible for you to be holy in my presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do we do with that? Well. We understand that we can't, and and he dwells in an approachable light. You know, you and to and 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 for not not to say, well, you suck, and I can never, as I as a human can never possibly ever do anything right. That we can't read the law like that. You no, know, we say, no, God, God goes, yeah, you're you're um, you're impure. That's fine, and I've I've made a way for you. I think he's just laying the groundwork, right? Yeah, man. he's laying that groundwork for Christ, who finishes the way who Boom. lays it who, do, who i have do. not come to abolish the law but to what fulfill, fulfill it. it yes all right all right so Love that it. was a bible nerd moment but there <laughs> you go all right i'm giddy <laughs> okay good 
On to our third question. From- hey, if, if we weren't clear on this, Andy Stanley needs to repent. Amen. Sorry, just thought I'd throw that you yeah. know, one more time. Absolutely. Yeah. Repent. <clears throat> All right, so number three question from Curious Cletus. 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 All right. Why the rumor... Is, is it possible for a Cletus to weigh less than 350 pounds? Cletus. And speak with a southern drawl? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Come from, on, Cletus. What you got for Curious me, Cletus, the rumor is that Dustin reads 150 books a year. True or false? Well, it's true, but I mean, it was 123 repetitions of 3rd John, so that doesn't really count, but... No, not really. Boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. The... Um, no, false. I, I did actually, this is before I got really into like language learning and stuff. I had a goal to read 150 books a year and I started keeping a log of them and things like that. And, you know, it, it became impossible for a couple of reasons. And one is um, like define book and define read. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you approach books differently. And am I slavishly reading every word of a book? Almost never. I mean, it, I do in nonfiction. I read, you know, straight through those. You don't want to skip something in that. You got character development and the whole deal, right? But most of, did I say nonfiction? When I'm reading fiction, when I'm reading novels, I, I go ahead and read every word. But yeah, most of the time I'm reading nonfiction. I'm reading theology or history or whatever. I'm jumping all over the place. So, I mean, there are times where I'll, you know, I'll pick up, I'll pick up a book, you know, of 200 pages and I'll read it in an hour and a half. Well, it wasn't a thorough read, but I got everything I wanted out of yeah. it. So, you know, it, it's, it gets kind of hard to measure after a while because not every engagement with a book is to read the book. Yeah. So, I mean, like I'm preaching through Luke right now. I got these commentaries that I'm combing through. I'm reading 20 pages in this one, five pages in that one, 30 pages in this one. And I've been, you know, I've been in Luke forever now. So it's like, I've, I've been reading those books for years, but would I say I have read them? Well, I've read them more thoroughly than most of the books I read, and yet I'm not done with them yet. So, no, I, I tried, because I figured, yeah, I could probably read 150 books a year, um, and it was like a personal goal, but it wound up being a metric that was impossible to really um, attain. So, no, that's false. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting, because you even when you look at a book and you're reading, right? It, like, again, I read theology books as well, and and I'll even reread novels, Definitely. And, and so as I as I read through it, if if there's a paragraph that I already know where he's going with this, and I know the author, yeah. and I've read through it, it's like, I'm not necessarily going to read that entire paragraph. I may just read, pick out some sentences, make sure I'm still, I'm actually tracking with what the author is saying, yeah. and then, and then, and move on, right? That, that's, that is, that can be a viable way to read, especially if you, if you know the author. Like, yep. if I, if I read, um, if I read, you know, 40 books by John MacArthur, um, if he gets to talking about spiritual gifts, I probably know where he's going to go. Shout out for episode forty six, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and that's fine. And I and I'll read it, and then I, and and I'm and I'll skim it, and I'll go. Okay, it doesn't look like there's any new arguments that I see. There's no, no there's mm-hmm. not quoting something different. So, got it. Okay, yep. totally fine. Um, even with novels, it's like I, especially if I know the story. There might be certain parts where I'm like, okay, now I remember this. This is what happened, and then I'll just and I'll just move on. Yeah, yeah. And we actually, um, I, I did a. a if you guys haven't seen it, if you're just kind of sampling around the episodes, I did ten mini episodes on how to learn uh, before we started season three. So you know, a couple of those dealt with speed reading and how to en- you know how to engage different types of books. And I just gave some of my personal tips on that. So um, yeah, if you want my techniques on on tearing through information. Then back up a few episodes and um, do those those ten on how to learn. I, I kept most of them to about ten minutes. Uh, one of them, I was talking about the physical side of learning. You know, just how do you how do you exercise in such a way that your brain 
uh, maximizes its function throughout the day. And I, I brought in an expert for that one. So that got a little bit longer, but uh, you know, that'll give you a lot more information on how I personally approach books and maybe it'll be helpful for you. Nice. All right. So question number four from, Sh- from Shannon, our old buddy, Shannon. Yeah. She has good questions. Yeah. All right. So why do we baptize? Why do we bab- Why, when we baptize, do we say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, when the rest of the New Testament, when the disciples carried out the command to, they baptize in the name of Jesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 5, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we baptize in grace and truth. We go through the, the script. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we do that? Well, because in Matthew 28, Jesus rose from the dead. And <laughs> say it out loud. Because Jesus said so. <laughs> Look on your face is so sarcastic. Yeah. Sorry, Shannon. Not trying to be condescending, but... Um, yeah. No, and, and Shannon knows this. Uh, yeah. the, so Jesus says, go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you go through the book of Acts, and you see people baptizing in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. Are they not following the Great Commission? What up? Now, there are different traditions within Christianity that are so focused on the mode of baptism that if you were baptized in the wrong one, they won't accept your baptism, and if you show up at their church, they'll make you redo it, right? And it goes both ways. Some people are like, nope, you were not baptized in Trinitarian mode in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ipso facto, you have not been baptized, and they'll re-baptize them in the name of Jesus alone, right? And then other places, it's like, nope, you were only baptized in the name of Jesus. Wait, wait. I lost track of which way I was going there. You get the point. Mm -hmm. Fix it, Ben. What am I saying? Well, I mean, yeah. So in other words, what baptism is valid? Right. Right. There you go. Thank you. And I think that that would, I mean, you've, again, I'm going to go to my, one of my first hermeneutical hermeneutical interpretive questions I'm going to do is, Matthew's a different author than Luke. Who wrote Acts? Who wrote Acts? So is there is there a difference between what what, G, what Matthew is doing, especially as he's seeking to uh, again prove that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and that he's filled all the Old Testament prophecies and he's now empowering his people for mission in um, in a world where they're going to be hated where and and he's reassuring them he's going to be with them always. Is there something to that? That would be one of my questions that I would have. And then looking at Luke as he's writing to whether or not it's an actual person by the name of Theophilus or a lover of God or or a whatever, he's writing and he's saying that you would know that all has been accomplished among us. And so purpose for writing would be very important as I look at this. I'm not saying that's the end all, but that would be some serious questions I would have. Is Luke lying? No, I think in the same way that even if I look at a car accident, if, if I watch a car accident and somebody else watches a car accident, we're, our stories are probably not going to be word for word. And and actually, um, a detective will tell you if the story is like word perfect from two different people. They're lying. They're lying and they've got, they've, they've, they've actually tried to perfect their story. Okay, so let me push on you for a second. By all for, means. For, for the sake of argument, okay? I think so, you just like to push on me. <laughs> it is fun. I do yeah. enjoy it. You like to watch me squirm. Yeah. So... It, it seems like this is a much bigger deal than just saying, well, you know, Luke didn't include a couple of words because Jesus left us two sacraments, right? We got mm-hmm. baptism, we got communion, and Jesus gave us some really specific examples, you know, as, as to how to do both. So when he says something, it seems it's like a high bar to meet to say, well, yeah, but Luke just kind of like 
brushed over it. Am I understanding you wrong or what? No, I don't. I I, I wouldn't say that I was saying Luke was brushing over it. Um, uh, I was looking to see. I was looking to see where the. No, that's not that. That's not what I'm saying. Is that Luke just brushed over it? I think that 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 baptizing someone in the name of Christ it is is they're they're being baptized as a Christian. I don't know if it's okay. necessarily that he's giving the threefold. This is what happened when you were baptized. Saying were you baptized in the name of Christ? In other words, are you baptized as a Christian? There was John's baptism, which yep. was different. Yep. So, in fact, I think. That that actually is addressed in 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 the book of Acts. Yeah, in Acts nineteen, that that yeah. was the context of that that quote there, where it's like, you know, well, they had only received John's baptism. Well, I went ahead and baptized him in the name of Christ. Right. So yeah, it, it was a contrast there. Christ greater than John, but still, in all, Pastor Ben, if I'm being you know argumentative here, Jesus said one thing, the apostles did something different. What are we supposed to do here? You're killing me. <laughs> no, this is the worst when you're looking for something and it's like the verse eludes you and you just can't quite find it. Like, Wait a second. Is that is that an ESV with all the verses broken up? Yes. Seriously? Yeah. You've got one of those? I do. I didn't know they put those out. They did. Dude, when I switched to preaching out of an ESV, I'm, now I got to get another Bible. I like my ESV, dude. Okay. It's Highland goat skin. Here's, here's the one difficulty is I don't know if you can actually find this. This particular printing. They're not putting it out anymore? I don't think so. Crossway, what are you guys doing to me, man? Sorry. My beloved NASB just let me down by not putting out the 95 anymore. Now you guys are yanking the rug out just like them. That's all right. I don't like single column anyway, if I can help it. All right, never mind. I'll just learn to read my Bible and find the verse. So, well, let let me take a whole other angle on this. Okay, right ahead. I'm going to make a statement. Tell me if you agree or disagree, and then we can unpack it. To baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the same thing as to baptize in the name of Christ. The name of Christ is the same thing. It bears the same authority. It bears the same um, birthright, you know, and all of that. So, well, okay, and I could say it this way. What's in a name, right? What does it mean to baptize into somebody's Name And when you look at that, I'm going to go ahead and make the statement that what you find you're being baptized into in Trinitarian baptism is the same thing you're being baptized into when you're baptized in the name of Christ. So it's not about the mode and the ritual and the law. It's about what you are entering, what you are being baptized or immersed into. Yeah, I would. T- yeah, I was. I was going on a totally different route, but I lost it. So what are you, what are you looking for? I was. I was. I'll Google it for you. No, I just. I- just trying not to be verbally processing on a podcast. Yes, that's right. <laughs> trying not to verbally process on a podcast. This is podcast. a zero prep environment, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. This is what happens. No, I do think that that would be a, a... I was trying to see if there was any correlation between the uh, the Great Commission... Um, the Great Commission section of Luke and how that related as well. Oh, I you see. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Math, Matthew's recording of the Great Commission is slightly different yep. than Luke's. 
And so if Luke is writing his gospel and he's saying Jesus is commanding us to do certain things, mm-hmm. then, then then what is being accomplished in Acts? Again, I'm trying to... Same author a, exactly. and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so what does it mean to baptize into somebody's name, right? So it's, I mean, you've got a couple yep. of things going on. You've got, baptism is, we stole the word baptize from Greek, it's baptizo, so we just yanked it straight out of there. And it just means to immerse. It's a very simple word. In Greek, if you were to say, I put the, I put the plate in the water in the sink, you would say, I baptized the, wa- the, the plate in the water. I immersed it. So when we are immersed in uh, into water in the name of we're doing this in somebody's name we're we're being immersed you know by the name of of Father Son and the Holy Spirit we're being immersed into the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit um, what does that mean well there's a there's a whole cluster of things in there right you, it's with the Father you've got sonship with the um, with the Son you've got lordship. Uh, with the spirit, you've got sealing, you've got all of these things, right? You're being immersed in this, in all of the functions of this triune Godhead. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you get all of that as well, right? Like it's, it is the same thing because he is our access into the fullness of God. Cause in him, the fullness of God dwells bodily, right? So I, yeah, I don't think there's a difference there. I think that, um, Baptists and Pentecostals like to square off on this one. Uh, and <laughs> I think it's a meaningless, uh, it, it's a, a a distinction without a difference, I guess, would be the rhetorical, you know, term for it. That sounds good. And what you just heard was Pastor Dustin pulling Pastor Ben's biscuits out of the fire. That was great. Thank you very much. <laughs> appreciate that. So, hey, man, it's it, you. I, I'm returning a favor you've done for me many times. I appreciate. <laughs> oh, right. It. Actually, I remember one time where you. What was that? That's me. oh okay. Sorry. I remember one time where uh, you you got up in a benediction and read a verse correctly that I had actually read incorrectly. Uh, during the sermon. I don't know if you did that on purpose, I but no. And I, I thought it was awesome because I was like, oh no, I said something like wrong. I was just reading too fast and I said it wrong. And then you got up there and that was the benediction verse that you chose. And so, you know, you read it correctly and I'm like, oh good, they'll leave with that ringing in their ears, you know? So anyway. All right. Well, if you'd like to do us a solid, um, what you can do is you can follow this particular podcast. You can give it a rating of five stars if you think we earned it. And and then you can also share this podcast with your friends, your family, even your enemies. Please just send it all around. Yeah, I, I can't imagine a, a better you know revenge than making them listen to us. <laughs> For an hour, exactly. This, but this will think of this as as injecting. Well, yeah, maybe some revenge to their commute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, hey, man, I know I know we've had some problems in the past, but I just really want to bury the hatchet, and I, I want to, you know, I just want to share life with you. Here's what I do in life. Here, listen to Hungry for Wisdom. Listen to these two knuckleheads. All right, so on that, um, all of all of your support actually helps Dustin's work with World Hope ministries international and so i would encourage you to do that like comment subscribe smash that like button whatever it takes and dustin i hear that this world is a pretty messed up place you heard that yeah you got you got to check your sources bro i'm just playing amen amen i'm messing around amen (laughs) but we have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it amen and i ain't screwing around with that one amen all right we'll see you guys next time what's that one that one literally like 60th episode that we've done hungry for wisdom is a ministry of grace and truth community in west richland washington you can find out more about us on our app social media or grace and truth community.com we love him see if it shows up first like the ball